Week eight, remember to seek. We've seen David go from this dirty shepherd boy who was a great musician to defeating giants, calming King Saul with his heart, finding favor with the king, winning battle after battle, and then the same king that was trying to kill him or the same king that was finding favor with him started to try to kill him. And last week we saw that King Saul's son, Jonathan, finally understood through a test that his dad, Saul, was in fact trying to kill his best friend and confidant, David. And he helped David to leave and escape, and then Jonathan went home. In fact, the last verse, if you want to throw it up there, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42 that we spoke on last week, it says, At last Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. And then David left and Jonathan returned to the town. So David has left the palace. Now we don't know exact dates necessarily because they're not listed in the scripture. But if you look at different contexts and different things throughout the, the scripture, it's assumed that up until this point, being a boy who was a shepherd to a dude feeding a, defeating a giant, to someone uh, uh, soothing the king with his heart playing, to a, a, a commander of armies for King Saul, we assume that he was in the palace up at this point about seven years with King Saul. And what we're about to enter into with chapters 21, 22, 23, and 24 is David getting to this place where he spends four, about four years, we think, roaming around from place to place while King Saul is hunting him down to kill him. Now remember, this is the same king, this is the same man who said this dude is so, this kid David, this young man David is so special, I'm going to get him from living with his dad to come here, live in the palace, and he's going to be my second hand guy. And we, we see David now entering into four to five years of running because King Saul is trying to kill him. Some refer to this time in David's wilderness running, if you will, trying to escape death as a sojourn, S-O-J-O-R-U-N, sojourn, or J-O-U-R-N, yeah, sojourn. You ever heard of the word sojourn? For those of you that don't know what that is, a sojourn uh, literally uh, in, in, in the definition means a, a, to dwell temporarily, to live as a temporary resident. Remember, it was prophesied that David would become the king. King Saul had been over and over uh, disobedient to God, and God said, it's time for me to anoint someone else to take his place. And the one anointed was David. Even though he didn't look like a king, he had the heart of a king. He was a seeker of God, and God said, because he seeks me, I want him to lead my people. So it was prophesied that David would become king. And he's at a place where his home was the palace, the place that would be his to sit on the throne and dwell. But now he's going into the sojourn season, and, and, and David is not anywhere near the palace. In fact, we're not going to see him get back to the palace until 2 Samuel chapter 2. We've got a while, four or five years, he's, where he will not be in the palace that he is destined to be in. And as I was reading this and preparing, God was speaking to me. He said, there are so many people who are taking up permanent residence in sojourn seasons. God has called you to be this. God has called you to do this. 
but for some reason when life happens we think that the plan changes and we start to, to make this permanent dwelling in this season that is simply your four to five years or months or days or whatever it is of a temporary place that God is moving you through. God does not want you to make a permanent residence in a sojourn season. He does not want you to make a permanent residence in a season where this is not where you're going to end up. And there's so many people that question their destiny, question their call, and they question what they are supposed to be because you've got it a little tough. And this is the dude who has gone from living in fields to living in a palace and the dude that he's been serving is now trying to kill him and he's having to leave the palace and roam around the wilderness for four to five years. When God says, this is what I have anointed you to be, that does not change. And I think some of you need to hear that tonight. Just because you're going through struggle, just because you have gone backwards, just because you have had the worst cards handed to you, it does not change what you are called to be. It does not change who you are. What changes is the circumstance, and we have got to figure out how to navigate through the circumstance because our destiny does not change with circumstance. Our destiny does not change with sojourning. Our destiny is simply God has called you to be, God has called you to do, and at some point we've got to come to grips with that and say I'm running back to the place where I need to be, and the place where I need to be is what God has anointed me to do. If God has anointed you to be this, I don't I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care what sin you've been in. I don't care what cards have been handed to you. The destiny is still, it remains the same. But have you taken up permanent residence in a temporary season? There are so many of us living in sojourn and we haven't been asking God and taking on the mindset Well, we haven't been asking God what to do and we're starting to take on this mindset of well, I guess I'll never be. I guess that will never happen. I'm too old to pursue that. I have messed up too much to go back. You are never too old, and you're never too messed up for God to see his destiny rise up in you. As long as you're alive on this earth, this is your time. And I hear so many people in this culture like kind of have this mindset of, one day I will. One day I will get there. Once I get through this season, I'll walk into that. Well, that's not what David's doing. David knows that he's supposed to be in the, or maybe, that he knows that he is called to be king and he knows that that's his home and he's trying to figure out why am I running around? He's trying to figure out why can I live in the, why is he trying to kill me? Saul's never had a conversation with David at this point. They, all David's doing is trying to dodge spears and dodge death of a man that he's been serving. David's not thinking, well, I guess that's it for me. All David's doing is seeking God. And what we do is we have all these cards handed, we have life play out, and we say, well, I guess it'll never happen. I guess that's over. But Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The time is now. Meaning, God, teach me that my days are limited so that I can get serious about seeking your steps for me. 
We cannot take on the mental idea of I'm going to get in step once I get through this season. It's let me get in step so that the steps will navigate me out of the season into my permanent dwelling. We, we tend to think one day God's going to get me out of this gray place. One day God's going to get me out of this season transition. And God's like, yeah, but you've got to start seeking that now, not then. Because if you keep seeking it for then, then will always be on the horizon. He says, I have this place for you. And right now, in this transition, seek me so that I can order your steps to the place where I want you to be. Proverbs 16, 19, within your heart you can make plans for your future, but the Lord chooses the steps you take to get there. You can make all the plans you want, but it's the Lord who chooses the steps to take you into the plan that he had for you before you were ever in your mother's womb, as scripture says. He says, I have a plan for you, I've got somewhere I want to take you, and I am the only one that can give you those steps. So within your heart, make plans for your future, but I'm going to choose the steps to get there. The problem is, a lot of times the plans we make have nothing to do with seeking God. The title of this message is Remember to Seek. You can make all the plans you want, but some of us waste so much time saying, God, show me the way, when his response sometimes is, my way ain't in line with your plan. And the reason my way is not in line with your plan is because you have not sought me for the plan. You've sought yourself. You've sought your desires. It's funny how the, uh, the American culture is all about making your dreams come true, but really and truthfully, it's not making your dreams come true. It's making God's dreams of what he created you to be come true. Our total purpose is, God, I want to get in line with what you saw me as before I got on this earth. And I guarantee you, none of us are there yet. None of us. I don't care how mature you are in the faith. I don't care how immature you are in the faith. None of us are at the place where God wants us to be. Some of us may be in step. Some of us may not. But we got to kind of get in our hearts and say, are our plans in line with his? Because if they are and I seek God, the steps he's given me is going to take me to his plan and not something I've mustered up by my own desire. Our desires born into a corrupted world are in errantly corrupted so to get in line with God's steps for a plan he has we've got to make sure that our plans are not off of corrupted desires because we'll try to make a plan for rich to be rich and, and have and have all these riches so that we can become but God calls some people to not be rich I heard a preacher this week talk about prophecy he said, isn't it funny how every prophecy in the church of America is God's going to exalt you and God's going to bring you here and God's going to do great things, but then you got someone like Peter who was prophesied that he would die. And we love the prophecies about give me, give me, give me, but what if God has called you to be the biggest martyr for his name? Are you willing to take those steps to get in line with that? Like, what if God ha has made you to be the biggest sacrifice for your culture, but you're not making the sacrifice because your plans are corrupted? 
Like, like when, what if God has called you to look like the biggest loon at work, but you won't, won't kind of get out uh, of this comfort zone because you want people to, oh, God, God, God is great and, and, he, and, he, and he brings you into riches and glory. But sometimes glory is becoming the least of these. Like, like what if we have to start sacrificing, sacrificing more of what we want for what he wants? Moses was wandering around a wilderness for 40 years. A journey that should only take in a couple days. Because his steps had to keep being corrected. David is about to enter into this four to five year sojourn. And what we're going to see in tonight's chapter is the first part. Is this good so far? You all right? Okay. So look at 1 Samuel 21 verses 1 through 2. David went to the town of Nob to see Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he saw him. Why are you alone, he asked. Why is no one with you? Well, the king has sent me on a private matter, David said. He told me not to tell anyone why I'm here. I have told my men where to meet me later. David is on the run from a king trying to kill him. And look where he goes. He goes to Nob to see a priest. Well, where would the priest have been? The priest was in a tabernacle. The first place David goes to on this exile, on this sojourn, on this wandering around about what do I do over this, this, what do I do with, I'm supposed to be in the palace, but the dude running the palace is trying to kill me. I'm supposed to be in this business, but the boss is trying to make me look like an idiot. I'm supposed to be in this marriage, but the enemy is trying to come against me. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be. Where is David going? David's not going all to his friends and saying, what am I supposed to do? David's not even calling his dad. We forget his dad. Jesse is still alive somewhere. He's not even going to daddy and saying, hey, dude, help me out. The first place David goes is a tabernacle. Why is it that when we, when we get in these seasons of transitions of hiding or seasons of temporary, we go everywhere else except the one place where we should go, which is the presence of Almighty God? We go to books, we go to podcasts, we go to websites. When God says, if you would just get on your knees with me, I'll give you every answer that all those books are trying. You can, you can read for three hours, I'll give you the answer in five minutes. Would you just seek me? David's getting this. He goes to the, the first thing. Let me go to the presence of God. Let me go to the tabernacle. Let me talk to this priest. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me, and I'll answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Think about that for a second. God says, if you call to me, I'm going to show you stuff that you don't know. If you come to me, I'm going to make you aware of things that you are not made aware of yet. In other words, if you come to me with questions, I'll give you answers you don't have. But why is it always we put him second, third, and fourth? Because we don't remember to seek. David most likely didn't have understanding of why Saul wanted to kill him so bad. You know, he was anointed as king, but that was never discussed between David and Saul. Because Saul was discussing it, but David never got wind of that. David was loyal. David was Saul's son-in-law at this point. Remember, David married Saul's daughter. 
David soothed Saul's torment with a harp. David, after a life of service to this man, is now trying to be killed by him. And oftentimes when people try to take out our purpose, we go to everyone and we always say, well, the, the, the people we go to, you know, people are trying to, to, to kind of kick our knees out from under us. Everyone always gives the same advice. Well, maybe you need to pray. It's time to go. Maybe it's time to leave. David is under this man trying to kill him for years and years and years, and he's still trying to serve him. He's trying to figure out why, why is he trying to kill me? So he doesn't start going to his friends because they would all say the same thing. Dude, you need to start your own kingdom. Dude, you need, you need, you need, to, you need to leave that dude's palace. But David understood something. He said, before I seek my friends and seek these people, I'm going to go to the tabernacle because that's where the presence of God is. David's sojourn in the wilderness would eventually lead to a place where he would become king. But David didn't know that yet. David's taking this thing one step at a time. All David knew was, I'm trying to be killed. I don't know why. Let me get to the tabernacle. And the priest was terrified. Ahimelech trembled and he said, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Why was this priest terrified? Because it was unusual that David was alone. The son-in-law of the king, which means the enemy probably had hits out for him, because remember, David was leading battle and victory after victory after victory. It was really weird that one of the best warriors in the kingdom that the enemy wanted to take out was alone. So David does something a little off color. Because at this point, for years and years, seeking God, leading worship in the fields, feeding the sheep, serving the king, defeating giants, winning battles. You know what David does to the, the priest? He lies. I know none of y'all have ever lied when trouble comes. But the priest, he says, King Saul sent me on a private matter. And he doesn't want anyone to know. I want to pause right here because a lot of people can preach this in the wrong way. I want to make sure we get this. It was not okay for David to lie. It wasn't pardoned. In fact, when we read the Psalms and as we get more and more into the story, we actually see eventually that David regrets when he lies. We're going to come to a place next week where we find that all the priests he lied to end up being killed. Because they were helping David without knowing it, which was treason to the king. So David's going to be responsible for all these priests being murdered. The dude feels bad. David regrets it. I want to, but but I, what I want to what I want to point out in the midst of the lying is the environment that caused the lie. David didn't know who was for him. He didn't know who was against him. He's beginning a four to five year journey of wandering. He didn't know what was going to happen. And let me just tell you, on your walk with God, your life is not going to get easier. You ever been through those times where you feel like, I've served God all these years, I've done the right thing, and it seems like I'm going backwards now? What the heck is going on? I serve in church, I read my Bible, I, I have a relationship with God, and now... All of these things are coming against me. I'm failing financially. My relationships are falling apart. I feel alone. I feel like I don't have friends. I, I, I this, I this, I this. Why is all this happening? The more you submit to him, the more you're going to be put in environments where you have to become completely surrendered and dependent on him. 
in this moment, David did something right. He went to the tabernacle. But he didn't depend on God in this one little thing. He depended on what he thought was the best thing to do. He created a, a lie because he didn't want to get killed by these priests serving the king. We have to remember to seek him in everything. We've got to get out of our own understanding. See, David was in his own understanding. Let me talk my way out of this. In this moment, all the stuff started happening to David, and because of what he's doing, we can pretty much assume David's starting to trust himself a little bit too much. I, I know none of y'all have ever been there. But David's success, 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 assassination attempt, assassination attempt. And now he's running and away from the palace. He's going to a priest. And now he's depending on himself because he's going to have to lie. <laughs> but he did get one thing right. He went to the tabernacle. David had no food. David had no plan. David was in this temporary place. And when he gets to the tabernacle, if you remember in the series of the Worshiping Church, learning about the tabernacle, when you walk into the holy place, you have the Holy of Holies right in front of you. The Holy of Holies is where the presence of God was. Well, he's in this cover part about to, like right before the Holy of Holies. But David can't get in there. David was not the priest. Jesus hadn't come yet. There was a veil. It wasn't torn. Well, David gets into the holy place, and right in front of him he sees an altar of incense, offering up prayers of incense to God. To the left, he sees the golden lampstand, the light, and to the right, in his hungry state, he sees a table of bread. You remember the table of bread? It had 12 loaves on it, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So David is in the holy place, he's in the presence of God, and the very thing he needs is right in front of him. See, he was lying because he was trying to protect himself, but what he didn't realize yet is that because he was in the right place, everything he needed didn't have to come to him because of a lie. It was waiting. David's hungry. David's lost. He gets into the holy place, and he sees a table of bread. And I love what he does in 1 Samuel 21, verse 3. He says, now what is there to eat? <laughs> Give me five loaves of bread or anything else you have. We don't have any regular bread here, the priest replied, but there is the holy bread. And you can have it if your young men have not slept with any women recently. Now what's crazy here is that David, you can tell he's in the right place. He didn't have to account for an army. He didn't bring anyone with him. He was by himself. All he had to account for was himself. He says, we don't have any regular bread. There, there's holy bread. You can have it if young men have not slept with any women recently. Verse 5, don't worry, David replied, I never allowed my men to be with women when we were on the campaign. And since they stay clean even on ordinary trips, how much more on this one? Since there was no other food available, the priest gave him the holy bread. The bread of the presence that was placed before the Lord in the tabernacle. It had just been replaced today with fresh bread. David, in his solitude, just happened to get to the tabernacle where there was only the bread that was available when fresh holy bread just replace what was on the table. So let's read that scripture again in Proverbs 16, 9. Within your heart, you can make plans for your future, but the Lord chooses the steps you take to get there. 
David was probably trying to make plans, but he remembered to seek God. So he said, let me get outside of my plans because I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. And he said, let me get in the presence of God. So he goes to the first place knob, he gets to a temple, and there just happens to be fresh bread that they give to David in his hunger. And there are so many times in life where we need something, we need a provision, we need God to show up, and we try to do everything. We, 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 we try to, 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 to create this, this picture. We try to, maybe some of us tell some lies to get around some, some tough situations, or we try to reason in our mind. David just says, let me get in the presence, and God says, now that you're here, I've got fresh bread for you. David was led to this place and the energy he needed to continue rested in the presence of God. The need was waiting on him. Why? Because God does the steps. God knew I cannot have my future king hungry because if he's not fed, he's going to be at 20%. He's going to be hungry. He's going to be tired. So he's leading David to the tabernacle knowing that there's fresh bread to sustain him. When you seek the face of God in your sojourn season, he will lead you to a place of dependence on bread of life that is Jesus himself. Jesus is the bread to feast on that gives you the strength you need to endure whatever the journey is that you are walking with the Father led according to the Holy Spirit. He says, I know what you need. I've got the resource. I've got the nutrition. Just seek me. And what's even more, is this okay? In this culture, eating together formed a bond of friendship that was sacred. So when David was in this tabernacle and he ate this holy bread, the bomb was saying, God, I love you, I seek you, and this is where I want to be first and foremost. And I want to point out something. The bread wasn't stale. The bread wasn't old. They replaced the bread that day. People, God is not satisfied with stale, moldy, old bread for you to be sustained on. He wants fresh bread. He wants fresh relationship. He wants fresh declarations. He wants fresh declarations of dependence. He does not want the old, I got baptized when I was 10 years old. He doesn't want the old, I know God, I've met him years ago. He wants fresh, fresh fresh, fresh, and a lot of us are trying to be sustained off this old bread, and the fact is you cannot be sustained off of old bread, and what happens is because you're not sustained off of old bread, because it gets boring and it gets dull, we start to dip our appetites in these other things, and we start to eat of these other things, and God's over here like, the, he's like, the only thing that you need to get to your purpose is feast on the bread of life, but son or daughter, you're feasting on inappropriate appropriate movies and pornography and, and, and you're feasting on these TV shows that don't lift up God and, 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 and you're feasting on this music that doesn't lift me up and, and you're feasting on, on all these things that are against me. What are you doing? Uh, my life's miserable and I can't get anywhere. It's because you haven't eaten any fresh bread lately. You're drained. Of course you're miserable. Do you think Anything else would come of eating stale, moldy bread? Because this is what the stale, moldy bread in the church is. I believe in Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is like, yeah, I got that, but you haven't spoken to me in like 10 days. 
but I believe. It's not enough for you to believe. You've got to live what you believe, and it's a continual communion of fresh bread. David needed fresh bread. It was prepared for him. John 6, 32-35 says this. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And the journey that God has you on, he doesn't need you to go hungry or thirsty. He's got too much in store for you. He knows how your body works like he, he created it. He knows you need emotional substance. He knows you need a refreshing. He knows you need literal physical energy. So he says, come to me and I'll give you everything. He makes a way to sustain you because he is that obsessed with seeing you go into your purpose. Not, God does not look at you and say, you're never going to become anything I want you to be. Because now he sees you through the lens of Jesus. So he no longer sees failure, he sees potential. And what do you do with potential? You feed it. What do you do with a baby for it to grow into its full potential? You feed it. That's all God wants to do to you. And next, very next verse, 1 Samuel 21, verse 7. Now Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief herdsman, was there that day. And having been detained before the Lord, David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spirit or a sword? The king's business was so urgent that I didn't even get to grab a weapon. So David is weaponless. Now, stop right here for a second, because this is funny to me. Years earlier, the dude defeated a nine-foot-tall giant with a slingshot. He's won battle after battle after battle. And he has gotten to a place where he has forgotten the trust to such a degree that the first thing he says is, do you have something? I need a weapon. What's funny about this is God knows he needs a weapon. But he's kind of forgotten the whole trusting thing of walking forward even without knowing that it will be sustained and it will be presented. David's like, I didn't even have time to grab a weapon. Do y'all have anything? Verse 9. I only have the sword of Goliath. Is this not funny to y'all? <laughs> well, I mean, I've, got, I've only got the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the Valley of Elah. I, I kind of like what the priest is saying. He's like, like you, you kill a giant with a stone and you're worried about a weapon? And he's like, the only weapon I got is Goliath. It's wrapped in the cloth behind the ephod. Take that if you want. There's nothing else here. There's nothing like it, David replied. Give it to me. Now remember, I told you we were going to the story of David because in understanding the tabernacle in the worshiping church series, there's stuff in the story of David that's going to make sense. The priest said, your sword is behind the ephod. What was the ephod? The ephod was the apron that covered the back of a priest from shoulders down to the ankles. 
it had two stones, one on each shoulder. And on those stones was written the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was worn by the high priest. Now, who is our high priest? Jesus is now our high priest. Isaiah 9, 6 says this. For un, this is a review. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on the shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So notice what he says. He says, the sword is behind the ephod. The ephod is something on the back that contains the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus says, I am your priest, and on my shoulders is the government. So if the shoulders contains the names of the people of God, and he says, the government is on my shoulders, who do you think the government is? Is the government just God? It's the people of God that rests on his shoulders. He says, the government is on my shoulders. The high priest carries the name of God, and he says, the government is on my shoulders. The people are the government. He says, we, the people, are the government of God on the earth. And he says, behind this ephod, which contains the government of the earth, was the sword that David used to kill Goliath. In other words, it comes down to this. Your most powerful weapon in any situation rests behind your revelation of how you are supposed to govern this earth. <laughs> Y'all, let me say that again. Your biggest weapon for your life lays behind you walking into alignment with governing this earth under the direction of your high priest. He says, behind government is your weapon, is your sword. We're looking for swords in wrong places. Is this okay? We're looking for swords in wrong places. David needed a weapon. David needed protection. It was all in God's presence. All David needed to do was govern his life, govern his temple, govern his destiny, and everything he needed will be given. Because behind governing your temple correctly is your biggest weapon. And there are so many of us that are facing so many trials in life, and the reason you're not succeeding, and the reason you're failing, is because you are failing to govern your life under the direction of God. God gives us direction for everything. For our finances, for our relationship. Can I, just say, can I just say one of the biggest controversies in the world today? In our sexuality? In our emotions? In life or not? He gives us direction for everything. And he says the biggest weapon to defeat every enemy lies in you governing under those directions. If you govern under directions, swords that can kill giants are at your disposal. But you never see them because you're not governing correctly. And we don't govern correctly, and we sit in, in our churches and we say, God, would you, would you, would you, would you? And God's like, the weapon's right behind the ephod. 
The weapons right behind the government. <laughs> That's a lot better than y'all responding. <laughs> in 1 Samuel 21, the next verse, it says in verse 10, David escaped from Saul and he went to King A of Gath, Ashish of Gath. That's good. But the officers of Ashish were unhappy about his being there. Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one the people honor with dances and seeing Saul's killed his thousands and David his ten thousands? David heard these comments and he was very afraid of what the king of Gath might do to him. Why the heck was he afraid when he was possessing Goliath's sword? Think about this for a second. He's on the run from King Saul. He goes to the presence of God. He lies to a priest twice. And yet through it all, because he was in the presence, he got the bread and he got the weapon. But even though he had the bread and had the weapon, he was overcome by fear. He was still scared. He was scared of this king and what they were saying. So I began to ask God, why, if he has a sword, was he scared? And this is what the Holy Spirit told me. You have a sword, but your primary work of your sword is not to attack anybody. Because in my fleshly thinking, if I've got a sword and someone comes at me, I'm going to take care of you in a second. But that's not what David's focus is. We are told that the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6 is the Word of God. And there are too many people using God's Word to attack people rather than defending their submission to their Father. It is a comfort for the journey. It is knowledge of knowing what I have is something of more value than the threat that comes against me. And I don't have to attack you with what I've got because what I've got gives me such a peace about me that no matter what comes against me, I know that no enemy will prosper. No matter what comes against me, God's going to bring the fresh bread. No matter what comes against me, when I govern correctly, there's going to be a sword behind my government. There's going to be the correct weapon behind my government. And the correct weapon doesn't look like weapons. God says, govern correctly, and I'll take care of your enemies if you just simply bless them, if you pray for them, if you love them. But our culture says attack, defend. God wants you so secure in his sword, in his word, that nothing moves you from seeking him. David didn't think, oh, I can kill these dudes. He began to fear what was going on, even though he had a sword. Because David did understand one thing. I'm not going to use a sword to kill them. The sword's for a different purpose. So he begins to fear them. You know, when Jesus was tempted, he didn't use a sword he used the word to get out of the temptation of the enemy. 
If the enemy has been defeated, why are we still trying to fight? The only fight we have is living a life of being so secure in the arms of the Father that nothing moves us. You know, we see that David was afraid and we think, man, what a wimp. But I actually see a strong guy. Because even though David was afraid, the scripture doesn't say he ran from him. Because what did he have? He had a sword. But he wasn't attacking them. The sword, the word, gave him enough peace to say, this is where I'm called to be. And even though I'm scared to death, I'm staying right here. Look at the next verse. Verse 13. So, it doesn't say he ran. It says, so he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. Yeah, y'all laughing. God might give you some crazy strategies. <laughs> Finally, King Ashash said to this man, must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? Because David knew they may want to kill me, but I've got a sword, and my God called me to be right here, and I am not going anywhere until my God says it's time to take a step. And there are too many of us that are moved by circumstance rather than God's release. And you know why we're moved by circumstance? Because you're not secure in the sword. And you're not secure in your sword because you are not governing your temple. David may have said a couple lies. But let's not forget he's right where he's supposed to be. He's being led. And he is dependent on God. And he's so dependent on God that no amount of fear and no amount of attack is going to make him go anywhere. Because he's waiting on one thing. He's not waiting on a king to threaten him. He's not waiting on an army to try to kill him. He's waiting on God's release. Now there's a truth I want to point out. David keeps lying. and Maybe David wanted that sword because he was starting to take matters in his own hands. I don't know. David was probably questioning a lot at this point. But David being a seeker, there's like a whole book in the Bible about songs David wrote. Do you know the name of the book? Psalms. He actually wrote two songs about this experience. And what we see and what King Ashish saw was an insane dude scratching on the ground letting saliva drip from his beard. But we're about to see what David was really doing. Because he looked insane. And the title of this psalm that we're about to read in Psalm 56, it's titled, This is When I Was Seized at Gath. In other words, it wasn't just that David was in Gath. He was captured by these men. Hadn't even been in year one, and he's been captured. A, a shepherd boy who became king that had never lost a battle. And he was captured. And instead of running and trying to get out of it, he went to one thing. I'm going to seek God, and God's telling me to stay, and I'm going to act insane. 
And this is what he writes in Psalm 56. While they saw an insane man scratching the floor, this is what David was saying. Oh, God, have mercy on me. People are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. When I'm afraid, but when I am afraid, God, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? You see, he's seeking God, and he's talking to God, and in the midst of complete fear and acting insane, he's realizing how insane he truly has been. Not because he's acting crazy, but because he's realized, I've got God on my side. What am I worried about? He, he, he says in verse 5, they're always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. They come together to spy on me, watching my every step, eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness and your anger, O oh God. Bring them down. You keep track of my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your own book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. Not when I sling my sword. Not when I run against you. He says, when I call for you to help, they are going to run. This I know. God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God. Why am I afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. You've rescued me from death. You've kept my feet from sleeping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving Light. He didn't have to use Goliath's sword to get him out of a mess. He did one thing. Let me seek God. I'm going to act insane. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stand in my fear and, and seeking God. He's like, why the heck am I afraid when he is on my side? And you know what we see in the beginning of the next chapter that we're going into next week? In the very next verse, it says David escapes. He is one man, without anyone with him, escapes being captured by an army of Gath. Not when he got the sword, not by talking his way out of it, by doing one thing, seeking God. This whole message is one thing tonight. We've got to remember to seek him. Your swords are ready. Your way out is ready. Your destiny is being prepared. God says, I am preparing a land for you that I have been tending. All I need you to do is walk into it. Well, how do I walk in it? You don't wait for a dream. You don't wait for a vision. They will come. Like, those are good things. God says, I'm going to give you dreams. I'm going to give you visions. But don't wait on that. Seek me so that you can open the door for me to pour into you. There are so many of us who are jealous about people getting prophetic words and visions. Well, why can I get that? Because they're seeking. And the vision isn't always in a dream. Sometimes the vision is simply a feeling you get. The vision isn't just what you see. It's seeing in the spirit. Sometimes it's that, it's that tug on your heart to go toward that thing. But you question it. You question everything you're doing. God says, don't, que don't question anything when you seek me. I keep praying, why doesn't God get me out of this job? Why isn't God delivering me from this horrible workplace? David had to stay right there. Captured. Are you seeing what you want to see? 
or you've seen the destiny that God's playing out by every step. And during this time, they then wrote another psalm while he pretended to be insane. It's in, if you look in your Bibles, it even says during David's insanity. And it's Psalm 34. Let's stand as I read this. He's going through all this trouble. He's going through all these things. And he says this in verse 1, I will praise the Lord at all times. Even though I'm scared, I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord and let all who are helpless take heart. Come, tell us, come, let us tell the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Look at that. He's in the middle of being captured. The fear didn't leave once he escaped. The fear left, which gave him the ability to escape. And some of us are trying to escape situations but you're trying to escape the fear and, 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 and or trying to escape the situation. And God says, let me handle the fear first because I don't want you carrying that fear into your next place. And there are so many of us wanting to get to that next place in our lives, but we're still holding on to fear. We're still holding on to regret. We're still holding on to bitterness. We're still holding on to worry. We're still holding on to yesterday. And God says, I cannot let you get to step two until you let go of the stuff you're holding on to from step one. Once the fear was gone, David escaped. Verse five, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. Can I just be honest with you? If you don't radiate with joy, that shows me you truly have not been seeking God. Because the only way to get joy is seeking Him. And there's no way to seek Him and not have joy. And seeking Him is not being involved at church on Saturday nights. Seeking Him is being wrapped up in His arms every moment. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from my troubles. The angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. The only thing you need in the midst of a sojourn, temporary season is the best weapon you've got. Rely on his word, rely on his promises, and seek his face. And when you seek his face, he will rescue you out of everything that you've got going on with one thing in mind, next step, so that you will walk in all the plans and steps that God has for your life. If this word spoke to you tonight, can you just give God some praise?